focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters in Yoon Se-young and Che Ji-hee. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys as well. We're going to start things off with that second summit for democracy. President Yoon Se-gyar, of course, uh, speaking during the opening ceremony of the uh, Indo-Pacific Regional Meeting of the Second Summit for Democracy in Seoul earlier today. Uh, we're going to get more details on what exactly President Yoon said. Jihee, you have more on this. Uh, do start us off here. So South Korea hosted the Indo-Pacific meeting of the second summit uh, for democracy today, and it was the second day today. And so this brought ministerial level officials and experts uh, from this region with a focus on the issue of combating uh, corruption. So major major political figures, including South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin, as well as United States Trade Representative Catherine Tai and Indonesian Foreign Minister Retno Marsudi attended the event. Event held at the Shilla Hotel in central Seoul. Uh, while South Korea is one of five co-hosts for this year's summit, along with the U.S., Costa Rica, the Netherlands, and Zambia, the event's theme was challenges and progress in addressing corruption, to be specific. Now, President Yoon Seok-yeol attended the opening ceremony of the meeting on the second day today and said corruption threatens democracy and suppresses freedom. Uh, he also said, in essence, anything that goes against the truth and the fact that anything goes against the truth itself is uh, considered corruption. And he also said democracy is a decision-making system of the community to guarantee freedom and human rights and the rule of law, uh, not the rule of uh, people, and enables the freedom and coexistence of community members as well. Furthermore, he said, we have only been interested in individual acts of corruption, but extracting the essence of individual acts of corruption would distort and paralyze the community's uh, decision-making system. He also emphasized that the dissemination of false information led by specific groups and forces and the incitement, violence, threats, and covert and fraudulent acts based on these false information distort and neutralize the decision-making system of the community which is democracy. And as part of South Korea's efforts to return to the international community what it got to achieve free uh, democracy and prosperity, uh, the government hopes to promote a joint vision for democracy and prosperity. And the specific plan is to promote development cooperation projects, which are worth $100 million U.S. million over the next three years in areas that can contribute to the promotion of democracy, such as e-government, uh, the digital field, technological capacity building, transparency, anti-corruption, especially to countries in the Indo-Pacific region that need a particular support. Now, President Yoon also said the democracy promotion for future generation program will be carried out so that young people in this same region can contribute to freedom and prosperity. And the president ended his speech by highlighting the importance of each area of society, strengthening transparency and eliminating corruption. Uh, and he said he hopes this Seoul declaration that the international community adopted will act as a milestone that will provide a future direction for all. 
Now, this is going to be uh, very important uh, because we have found out that South Korea is going to indeed uh, co-host the next Democratic uh, the Summit for Democracy uh, set for next year. Uh, this is actually according to the, uh, the joint statement issued by President Yoon Se-gyar and his uh, U.S. counterpart, uh, President Joe Biden. Sam, let's get more on this. Sure. Um, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and the U.S. President Joe Biden together released a joint statement on Wednesday where the two leaders announced that South Korea will be the host of the third Democratic Summit, which is expected to be held as early as next year. South Korea joined the summit as a participant in the first year, which was 2021. Then it co-hosted the second summit for democracy this year. And now, as it is expected to host the third summit next year, it's going to be a great opportunity for South Korea to solidify its position as a global leader, uh, leader among democratic countries. And for the reason that South Korea was chosen as the host of next year's U.S.-led Democratic Summit, the joint statement explained that Seoul and Washington share deep bonds Deep bonds are based on democratic values and respect for human rights and are committed to further strengthening uh, so solid political, economic, and security, and personal relations. The decision was especially made ahead of Yoon's state visit to the U.S., so once again, it signals that both South Korea and the U.S. have high expectations for the other country when it comes to achieving a common goal of both countries or national interests of its own. That's right. And in particular, amid uh, intensifying tensions between the United States and China, there seems to be a lot of expectations from the United States to South Korea uh, with the aim of keeping China in check in the Indo-Pacific region. We talked about how on the outside, it's plain and simple. It says Summit for Democracy. But if you look at some of the countries that are involved and some of the topics that are being discussed, it does seem like the United States, their goal is to isolate China and Russia. Uh, and maybe you could add uh, North Korea in there. But Sang, let's get more on that as well. Yeah, we can see that from the joint statement released by Yoon and Biden on Wednesday, where it says South Korea's democratic system is a beacon of strengthening uh, of strength in the Indo-Pacific and South Korea is a proof that shows the world that democracy fosters the conditions needed to cultivate continued security and prosperity. So by introducing Korea as a good example that has become an influential country among global leadership by developing democracy in the nation, we can say that the joint statement reflects the Washington's intention to present other countries in the Indo-Pacific region, what kind of system they should follow and what which countries they should cooperate with in the coming future for development. This is something that uh, China has uh, criticized for some quite time now because uh, they're saying that basically the United States, they're being hypocritical. Mm -hmm. uh, they continue to talk about how uh, you need cooperation amongst uh, the global community and everything is linked together and everyone needs to cooperate together in order for everything to work. Yet they're basically isolating China uh, is what they're saying. And so how does that uh, meet you know, I guess, fit into this whole idea of let's uh, connect, the world is connected together and we all need to work together and things like that. But I mean, again, I mean, it's, it's not the first time that we've seen, we've seen this uh, during the, the previous Trump uh, administration as well, but even more so uh, during the, uh, the current Biden administration. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we have talked about some of these uh, laws that were passed under the Biden administration that uh, certainly doesn't seem so good for the South Korean companies. Uh, so you had the top trade officials 
from South Korea and the United States discussing the USX. First of all, the uh, semiconductors and electric vehicles earlier today. This, of course, includes our favorite act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and not to mention a range of pending bilateral issues as well. Chi, let's get more on this. Right, so Seoul's Trade Minister An dok and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai held a meeting in Seoul uh, as Tai is in South Korea to attend this, the earlier mentioned two-day summit for democracy. So during the meeting, An called on the U.S. to address concerns by the South Korean government and companies over the leakage of confidential data from companies receiving state funding under the Chips and Science Act. And under this act, uh, foreign chip makers, they can receive subsidies totaling 52.7 billion U.S. dollars and tax incentives for setting up production facilities in the U.S. But this comes with several major conditions, and it includes requiring companies receiving subsidies to submit data on their cash flows, yield rate, as well as profitability, and provide childcare for workers as well. Now, the uh, guardrails of the law were announced last week, and the Seoul government has vowed active consultations with Washington uh, during the 60 days of public comment. And also on the table was the IRA, or Inflation Reduction Act, which specifies the exclusion of EVs assembled outside of North America from tax incentives. Now, this has caused concerns uh, that major automakers of South Korea will lose ground in the U.S. market uh, because they make uh, electric vehicles at domestic plants for export to the U.S. Now, Ann also asked for negotiations to be launched for the possible revision of the U.S. Section 232 tariff rules. And Washington wrapped up negotiations on the tariff issue with the European Union, uh, European Union and Japan and Britain last year. But it has maintained a negative stance on beginning talks with South Korea specifically. So yeah. officials said that the two sides have continued close consultations on those pending trade issues to advance bilateral economic and industrial ties further. And also reportedly, uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol also met Representative Tai earlier in the afternoon. And he himself also requested Washington to come up with friendly measures uh, toward South Korea regarding the CHIPS Act. Yeah, so that was the frustrating part is, uh, I believe, earlier this year, I believe it was, uh, when uh, President Yoon Suk, no, sorry, President Biden. Uh, Joe Biden invited French President Emmanuel Macron for uh, the first state visit, right? And that was when uh, Macron kind of came out very strong saying, right. we don't like this Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act. It's not just us. It's including all the EU countries. We're not a big fan of this. And then Biden kind of came out and said, oh, you know, maybe there are some glitches. Uh, there's maybe some uh, flaws in it that will work away. And then when, of course, and, and President Yoon Sakyara has been mentioning this for quite some time. Uh, many of the, uh, the South Korean officials have been mentioning this for way longer. Mm -hmm. And the response has been a lot different, right, uh, compared to what was told to Macron and to what was told to the South Korean officials. And like, oh, well, we'll, we'll look at it. And this we'll way. continue consultations. Yeah, we'll con the, the same <laughs> The same message all over again, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, get off our back. You know, we'll continue our, uh, you know, the consultation and things like that. And so that's been kind of the frustrating thing here. Uh, whereas, of course, when it comes to getting semiconductor information and all this stuff, you know, they want South everything from South Korea. But what are we getting in return was the big criticism. So, again, this is an issue that will continue to go on. And uh, maybe we'll see, I, I don't know, maybe marking the 70th anniversary, maybe uh, the the Biden administration will announce a nice little gift for us, uh, some exemptions or a grace period at least uh, for the South Korean uh, automakers because they are 
creating these uh, plants, uh, factories uh, in the state of Georgia, I believe. Uh, moving on here, the now former National Security Advisor Kim Sung-han on Wednesday announced that he'll be stepping down from his post uh, over some issues regarding President Yoon's state visit to the United States. Now, he did express his intentions to voluntarily resign, but there were some speculating that maybe he was forced to resign. And this was a little bit weird because, again, mentioned this yesterday, Kim Sung-han is known as probably one of the closest aides to mm -hmm. President Yoon Suk-yeol. But nevertheless, Heung, do we have more information on this front? Yes, the sudden resignation of former National Security Advisor Kim Sung-han was pretty shocking because it happened less than a month before a summit between President Yoon Suk-yeol and U.S. President Joe Biden. Well, bilateral meeting with the U.S. president is always one of the biggest events in democracy, um, uh, in diplomacy, and especially when it's a state visit, the role of national security advisor is very important. In particular, that this time, the talks are expected to discuss and decide a range of sensitive issues directly related to Korea's national interests, such as IRA, chip and battery issues, bio, and so on. So when considering the significance of the talks, we can say it's extremely rare for the head of the working level officials to suddenly be replaced ahead of the event. And for that reason, Kim's resignation left many speculations and wondering what really happened inside and what really made him to step down. Indeed, you know, when the uh, related news first came out, Kim denied the report that said he was planning to resign. But right next day, he announced that he would step down and the presidential office accepted it. Uh, the resignation in just an hour. Kim, who served as the first security head coach of the Yoon song yeol administration for the past year, is considered a major figure when it comes to South Korea-U.S. alliance for the past year. And earlier this month, he visited Washington for five days to coordinate President Yoon's visit to the U.S. with his counterparts. And this is why pundits expressed concerns over how his absence will affect the upcoming summit because he was in the center of the working level uh, coordination. Now, what's also worth noting in regards to all this is that this is actually not the first time a major figure in the UN administration's diplomatic and security line has been replaced. So let's go over some of the previous replacements. Right. Um, earlier this month, the Kim Il-bom, presidential secretary for protocol, was replaced, and Lee Moon-hee, the presidential foreign affairs secretary, was also replaced two weeks later. And now, as the so-called diplomatic and security control tower um, has stepped down. Reports say uh, we can't leave out the possibility of friction between the presidential office, uh, which include his close aides and the existing diplomatic figures, uh, such as Kim Sung-an, um, in the process of coordinating the diplomatic strategies and schedule for Yoon's April state visit to the U.S. And some political sources also say there have been tensions and differences in position between Kim Tae-hyo, the first deputy director of the National Security Office, and the former diplomats such as Kim Sung-an in terms of diplomatic relations with Japan. Uh, for example, Kim Tae-yo insisted on revamping relationship quickly regardless of conditions is more important, while Kim Sung-han argued that diplomacy under the protocol is more important. Some also say Kim failed to deliver some proposals from the U.S. to President Yoon in a timely manner, especially regarding some cultural events. 
But leaving all the speculations behind, the official reason of Kim's resignation is that he believes he has completed the job he meant to do when he was first appointed as a security advisor, and now it's time to go back to his previous job as he originally planned. All right, so now that this position is vacant, mm -hmm. uh, well, it wasn't vacant for that long because we had the head of the National Security Office, the presidential office, appointed uh, the uh, Cho Taeyong, right? He was the ambassador to the United States. This is the interesting thing now. He's mm -hmm. the ambassador to the United States, uh, Cho Taeyong, being the successor to Kim Sang-an, who again was the head of the National Security Office. Uh, he is the first vice foreign minister, and then he reportedly appointed as the new ambassador to the United States, and now he has this title now. So let's also get more on this. Sure. Um, Cho Tae-yung, ambassador to the United States, was appointed as the next chief of the National Security Office. Cho, a former diplomat uh, familiar with the U.S. and North Korean nuclear issues, served as the 21st National Assembly member as a proportional representative of the future Korea Party, the former uh, People Power Party, in 2020, and became the first ambassador to the U.S. of Yoon Song-yeol administration. Then, according to diplomatic sources on Thursday, President Yoon Song-yeol plans to appoint Vice Minister Cho Hyun-dong as ambassador to the U.S. and as the U.S administration for agreement or approval, which is prior consent to diplomatic envoys. Cho Yeon-dong is called as an expert of North Korean nuclear issues, who served as the head of the 40 Ministries North Korean nuclear diplomacy planning team and the first vice minister of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Now, the problem is that it usually takes at least five to six weeks for the ambassador to the U.S. to be confirmed uh, to receive the approval from the U.S. So the post is likely to remain vacant for the time being, especially ahead of Yoon Biden's summit. Okay, so I'm going to correct myself here. Mm -hmm. There were so many Joes that I got confused yeah, here. Right. So There are two Joes, yeah, yeah. Cho Taeyong so and Cho Taeyong Cho was Yang the ambassador Dong. to the United States. Now uh -huh. he is, of course, going to be the head of the National Security Office. And then Cho Yeon-dong uh, was the, the first, first vice, vice foreign minister. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to be bumped up as the new ambassador to the United States. Right. All right, guys, let's move on here. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, we have Japan now going to soon uh, release its contaminated waters from its uh, crippled Fukushima nuclear power plants. And the big concern with this is that there's it's going to affect the seafood, right? That which is why even the uh, the fisheries people in Fukushima has been protesting uh, the release of these uh, contaminated water as well. But the fact is, there's been a ban on seafood from Fukushima for some quite time now. Uh, ever since uh, you know all you know all the the, the, the you know radioactive water and the radioactivity that's going on in that area. But despite the fact that we've been seeing thawing relations between South Korea and Japan, uh, the UN administration actually did come out saying that they're going to keep this ban on the Fukushima seafood uh, because health and safety is what's supposed to be prioritized is what they said. So, uh, Ji, let's get more on this. Sure. So the presidential office said South Korea will not be lifting its ban on seafood imports from Japan's Fukushima area uh, today. And in a statement that it released, the office said when it comes to the import of Japanese seafood products, there's no change in the government's position that uh, the health and safety of the people is the top priority. And seafood products from Fukushima will never enter this country unless there are uh, strong 
scientific grounds that they're really safe for people. Now, this comes amid growing concern in South Korea over importing seafood from uh, the Fukushima area following President Yoon Suk-yeol's summit with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida in Tokyo earlier this month, uh, which led to a thaw in bilateral relations. Now, after the summit on March 16th, Japanese media outlets reported that Japan had requested South Korea to abolish restrictions on imports of seafood products from Fukushima. And on Wednesday, Japan's Kyoto News reported that Yoon told Japanese lawmakers during his Tokyo visit that he's committed to seeking public understanding regarding Japan's plan to release treated radioactive water into the sea uh, from the defunct Fukushima nuclear power plant, citing a diplomatic source. Now, Yoon reportedly promised all-out efforts to remove concerns in the country over the water discharge, uh, even if it takes time. According to this same source, during a meeting with former Japanese Prime Minister uh, Yoshihide Suga and other members of a parliamentarian union promoting friendly ties between the two countries. A presidential office said last week that he couldn't confirm the details of what was said during Yoon and Kishida's summit as they're confidential when asked about the seafood import ban. Uh, but the official said the ban on Japanese seafood imports could only be lifted when there's enough scientific evidence and public sentiment uh, to back this measure. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm actually not surprised that the Yoon administration had decided to uh, keep this ban in place because I'm just kind of looking at uh, President and Yoon Suk-yeol's approval rating. Remember, President Yoon's approval rating was actually yeah, soaring, right? It was like in the 40% range. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you compare it to like back when it was like last year, I think it reached like 20-something percent. Mm, right. uh, it's actually dropped down 2%. This is according to a, uh, a survey by NBS uh, when they uh, did a, I guess, a, a polling with uh, Enbrain uh, Public, uh, K-Stat Search, uh, Korea Research, and Hanguk Research. Uh, they said that uh, it's dropped down 22%, so down to 33% is is the, uh, what is it, uh, uh, that's the approval rating right now. And uh, a lot has to do with the South Korea-Japan summit, mm. because 31% of the people believe uh, had a positive uh, positive remarks in regards mm. to the summit, whereas 60% of the people uh, basically had some negative thoughts. So imagine there's already some criticism in regards to basically a lot of people saying, well, even with the uh, the forced compensation plans, uh, it seems like Japan got what they wanted. South Korea, the victims got little mm-hmm. out of it. And then when you lift a ban on the Fukushima, and that's stuff you, you never mess with what you eat, right? And that's the thing. And right. so it might lead to further, uh, I guess, uh, lowering of the approval rating. So not, not surprising uh, that this is happening. And I'm sure Japan also understands this as uh, even those in Fukushima is actually uh, very much against the, the releasing of the, uh, the contaminated water. Uh, we're going to move on here, but before we move on, I'm just going to answer this question here. Alicia says, in regards to the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, did Korea put in an inflation tariff on the chips? I think that might make America recon. If Korea puts like crazy tariffs on uh, semiconductor chips, uh, and in response to the IRA, basically the United States is basically going to go, well, then we're not going to sell your cars. And mm. there goes a huge chunk of the export. So right. you have to understand that the U.S. being a, a major economy, they have the upper edge here. Mm-hmm. And so we that's why it's, it's unfair, but that's how the world works. Um, speaking of which, the so-called K-Chips Act is what we're going to talk about here across the threshold of the National Assembly on Thursday. 
The act aims to boost South Korea's semiconductor industry by providing firms with tax deductions. Uh, this is in order to stimulate investments here, basically use the money that they saved on taxes, and then of course use that money to further improve facilities and things like that. So let's get more on this. Yes, um, the ruling and opposition parties proposed and approved the K-CHIPS Act at the plenary session of the National Assembly held this Thursday. Under the new legislation, companies can receive expanded tax benefits if they invest in manufacturing facilities of semiconductors, secondary batteries, vaccines, displaced hydrogen, and future means of transportation. It is significant that Korea's own CHIP Act has been passed amid concerns that the U.S. Chips and Science Act will greatly disadvantage domestic companies. And to give you more details, the South Korea's new CHIP-related bill will increase the tax benefit to 15% from the current 8%, which used to be relatively very low compared to other countries, especially other rival countries. Um, that's for large and medium-sized companies. Um, and the smaller size firms will receive a tax reduction of 25%, which is 9% higher from the current 16%. Now, we hope that this new bill will help South Korean companies to continue uh, to dominate the global chip market and maintain its status as a global semiconductor technology leadership. In the meantime, an annual government report showing earlier today the personal wealth of officials at the central government and uh, state-run institutions. Uh, the average asset, uh, a lot more than what we could have expected. But then, I mean, come on now, guys. Really? Uh, really, really surprised. Chi, let's get the details of this. Right. So about one-third of the ranking public officials at the central government and state-run institutions in the country have more than 2 billion won, which is about 1.5 million U.S. dollars in personal wealth. <laughs> An annual government report released earlier today reported now, a total of 2,037 senior public officials declared an average of 1.94 billion won in personal assets as of the end of last year, uh, with 31.3% holding assets worth over 2 billion won even. Uh, and this is according to data compiled by the Government Ethics Committee. And it was compiled for the first time after last year's presidential and local elections. By amount, 28.8% uh, owned assets from 1 to 2 billion won, and this was followed by 18.8% whose assets were valued at 500 million won, which is about 385,000 US dollars, to 1 billion won, so double that, and 17.1% whose assets were between 100 to 500 million won, uh, and some 3.9% declared assets worth below 100 million won. And 7 in 10 officials said their assets increased from a year earlier, uh, mostly due to increased property prices. And under an anti-corruption law, senior officials at government agencies, public institutions, and national universities, as well as heads of local governments, councils, and education offices are required to report the status of their assets to this uh, ethics committee once a year. And the latest data was the first annual report compiled after last year's, like I said, the presidential election and the local elections held in June. 
which means that most of the officials who were required to report their assets were different from those who declared an average personal wealth of 1.62 billion won as of the end of 2021. And if we take a look at the president's reported assets, uh, it was it totaled to 7.7 billion won, and this included a personal residence in southern Seoul and property and bank deposits owned by First Lady Kim Gon-hee. And the Government Ethics Committee will look into the data submitted by the officials until the end of June to inspect whether there were any irregularities in changes to personal wealth. I'm actually surprised it's only 7.7 billion Korean won because he, before he moved to obviously the presidential uh, office mm -hmm. residence, uh, he lived in one of like the most elite apartment complexes in all of Korea, right? <laughs> right. And so, I mean, that right. itself costs a lot. But I remember when you get, uh, during the presidential election time, you get the, the pamphlets of all the, mm -hmm. uh, the candidates. <laughs> I and it also, it also includes like uh, how much they have in wealth. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you had like at the time, uh, number one was uh, Lee Jae-myung, right? Uh, and then number and two. And then An was it? Uh, no, 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 no. As in like the numbers. Oh, like, the numbers. numbers oh, okay. right? oh. And then uh, An Chersu had a lot. I mean, he he's, a lot. He's, he's a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And then there was Hug Young, who's <laughs> also super rich because, I mean, like a leader of a religious group. So, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, we're going to talk about Chun Won once again. Uh, he's been the, the hot topic here in Korea for some quite time now. Uh, we talked about how uh, he was arrested upon arrival at Incheon International Airport earlier this week. Uh, for our listeners out there, if you don't know who he is, again, just a reminder, he's the grandson of Chun Du Hwan. Uh, he was released to 38 hours after police investigation. Remember, there was that uh, the footage where he came out, he was ranting, and he was, uh, apparently took some drugs or something like that, and then he mm. knocked out, and apparently he wasn't even conscious. And a lot of people are saying, was well, he even live? Well, he was arrested on, uh, at the Incheon International Airport, uh, coming over from New York. Uh, Chun immediately headed to Gwangju to apologize to the victims and the bereaved families of the May 18th Gwangju uprising. Sam, let's get more on this. Yes, heading to Gwangju was the very first thing uh, Chun did right after being released from police custody on Wednesday. And he was detained in an investigation into suspected drug use that he confessed himself um, right after he arrived in South Korea. And Chun Won, who arrived in Gwangju earlier this morning, said it was his first time visiting Gwangju. And Gwangju was a place where he has always tried to avoid with fear and selfishness. And he added that he's so thankful that he received a warm welcome from citizens of Gwangju when he arrived. And he also apologized for hurting and ruining so many people's lives and for coming to Gwangju so late. And what was impressive was he used the word sincere apology, the expression that the victims have been waiting for so long from Chun's family. Now, in addition, he is planning to have an official meeting with the May 18th organization tomorrow, which is uh, Friday. And although his uh, grandfather, Chun Doohan, died without acknowledging his crime until the end of his life uh, and apologizing to the victims and bereaved families, I believe it would be very meaningful for the victims and their families that his grandson came out to the world and finally apologized sincerely. I can't speak on behalf of the victims and the victim's family, but it's one thing for the family member of Chun Duan to apologize to them. The most important thing that is left out is the fact that Chun Duan again died mm -hmm. before even a single apology to the victims and the victim's family. And I he think even the, denied the fact that right, yeah, and he denied it, and uh, and uh, you know he said he had what is it Alzheimer's? Yeah, he was golfing. Well, anyways, uh, but. 
again, that's the most important thing. And so how are the victims and the victim's family going to accept this apology? Um, who knows? A lot of people are saying it doesn't matter which of the family members apologize. The most important thing is that Chen Duan himself uh, didn't. So uh, we'll see. I, I feel like there's going to be more revelations coming out from uh, Chen Duan. He seems like he has a lot of information in uh, regards to some of that uh, black money that his uh, family touched there. Uh, we're going to go into some world news. Uh, Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov uh, said that there will be no notifications at all with uh, Washington. As the U.S. also, uh, they stopped sharing data on its nuclear weapons with Moscow. Uh, remember, we talked about how uh, Moscow uh, pulled back or suspended the uh, participation of the New Star Treaty last month. We're going to get more on this. Uh, Chihi, you have uh, the details. Mm -hmm. So a senior official in Moscow has said that, as outlined in the New START Treaty, uh, Russia will no longer share detailed information on its nuclear weapons with the United States. Now, Russia's military began drills with its Yars intercontinental ballistic missile launchers in Siberia while fighting in Ukraine rages and tensions uh, with the U.S. mounts. And Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov told Russian news agencies on Wednesday that uh, Russia had halted all information exchanged with Washington after suspending its participation in the New START nuclear arms treaty last month. Now, he said in, re uh, in his remarks reported by Russian news agencies when he was asked if Moscow would also stop issuing notices about planned missile tests. Uh, well, he said there will be no notifications at all. And he also added that all notifications, all kinds of notifications, all activities within the treaty's framework will be suspended and will not be conducted regardless of what position the U U.S. may take. And the U.S. said on Tuesday that it would cease providing Moscow with detailed data on its nuclear weapons stockpiles in response to Russia's suspension of participation in the treaty. And regarding this, the U.S. National Security Council spokesperson, uh, John Kirby, said Russia has not been in full compliance and refused to share data, which the U.S. agreed in, uh, which the two agreed in new start to share biannually. And he added, since they have refused to be in compliance, the U.S. has also decided to likewise not share that data. Yeah, and this is now concerning because, as you know, uh, Russia is now moving tactical nuclear weapons into uh, Belarus, right? Mm. And so none of those information is now available mm. uh, to the United States. I, I mean, Russia says they're not going to use it against Ukraine, but I mean, there's a reason why they put it into Belarus. I just need to mention this. Uh, Sarah Louise Walsh, you said it's sad that his grandfather died like that. Um, not a lot of people feel that way uh, about the passing of Chen Duan because uh, he is widely considered as a, uh, a military dictator in South Korea. And mm. uh, it is widely known that he led the death of many innocent people who are fighting for democracy. So just a little bit of a Korean history lesson for there for you. Uh, we're going to finish things off here. Pro-government, uh, pro-Russian government uh, internet media reported on Thursday that North Korea is pushing for a plan to send volunteer troops to the Ukrainian battlefield to support Russia. Uh-oh. Sian, uh, let's get more on this. Yes. Um, citing Ukrainian media reports, Russian media Russia Spring said North Korean volunteer troops will be dispatched to the special military operation area in eastern Ukraine to fight on the Russian side. It said North Korean troops are better trained than that of Russia in carrying out combat without using modern equipment. Some other Russian internet media have 
uh, reported similar news, but major news outlets have not delivered such report. Plus, the Russian authorities also have not commented on that, so we'll have to wait and see if uh, the report was true or not. But if North Korea actually directly participate in the war in Ukraine, Again, the tensions between Team North Korea, China, Russia, and Team South Korea, U.S., and Japan will further escalate, which will eventually affect the situation on the Korean Peninsula in negative ways as well. So we'll have to keep on a close eye on that, too. I would be very surprised if mm. North Korean troops get involved with this, because yes. even the United States and NATO countries, right, they're not sending any troops. Mm -hmm. They're giving these, like, military like uh, tanks and uh, you know howitzers. I know now there's talks about fighter jets as well. This is for defensive reasons only. Mm -hmm. So they can't use that tank to go into Russia, let's say. And also they're not giving them any soldiers. Right now, Ukraine is short on soldiers right now, but they're still, once you start sending in soldiers, that's World War. That's right. World War Three. And so if North Korea sends them, and, and again, it's important to note that this is a pro-Russian government mm -hmm. internet media, so it's not like the Russian backstate media saying this or anything like that. I hope it's a fake news. Yeah, we're hoping it's, yeah. that it is fake news. But I mean, some of these come out for a reason. So again, we're hoping that, oh my God, that's the last thing that we need right now for mm -hmm. 2023 is a world war. Guys, thank you very much for your reports today. Have a safe rest of the night, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. See you again. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.